0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the FYE Podcast. My name is Nicholas Balderas, and in this episode, we wanted to highlight some of the best episodes we had this semester. The podcast has featured some amazing guests and had some great conversations, so let's get started. For our first clip, our very own Dr. Saldivar and Dr. Nolan Cabrera from the University of Arizona discuss Black Lives Matter and issues related to diversity, equity, and racism.
1: The comments, opinions, and thoughts represented... Are expressed in the FYE podcast, do not represent the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Joining me today is Dr. Nolan Cabrera. Uh, Dr. Cabrera is a, an award winning scholar and nationally recognized expert in the area of racism, anti racism on college campuses, whiteness, and ethnic studies. He's currently an associate professor in the Center for the Study of Higher Education at the University of Arizona and was the only academic featured in the MTV documentary White People. Dr. Cabrera moves beyond the few bad apples frame of contemporary racism and explores the structures, policies, ideologies, and experiences that allow racism to flourish. He calls upon institutions of higher education to be sites of social transformation instead of reinforcing systemic racism while creating a platform to engage and challenge the public discourse on post-racialism. Dr. Cabrera, thank you for joining me.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: We know what happened following the recent death of George Floyd and everything that's happening in the world. And for myself, I know as, a, as, a, as an academic, as a scholar, somebody who works in higher ed. So there's that aspect. There's that piece of me, right? That of my identity. And then there's me, the, the, the everyday person, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was kind of struggling, like seeing what was happening, understanding my role within that but then also my role as a faculty member my role at a university um and so i wanted to bring you on and really have a conversation so that one you can lend your expertise to it but so that we could have a good conversation about one our roles as as people as citizens right um as human beings yeah but then and but then maybe taking it and extending that to for us as academics and then the role of the of of higher education what is higher education's role within this discussion within this movement moving forward so where would you like to start
3: <laughs> there's
2: like 27 questions embedded in
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, i know let's let's pick one well so i would say immediate, what were what were you immediately thinking i mean because yes. this is what you study this is what you do yeah. Yeah. And so in the immediate aftermath seeing mm-hmm. what's going on in this country yes. what are you thinking
2: Well and, and so for me it it was horrific but not surprising this sort of stuff happens all the time and people had this sort of polyannish view that because there are body cams and you know cell phone cameras and all this stuff that police brutality would end magically and it's like no that that that's, that's such an asinine thought. And I was, I think that what was really how shocked white people were to see that. And, and it has created a really, really difficult um, social environment because mm-hmm. white folk, like Aziz Ansari has a beautiful line on this where he says, racism didn't just become a thing because white people discovered it, you know? And, and there's nothing more exhausting than a recently woke white person. Because there's like this moral outrage it's, it's, you know, that, that just bubbles up, and, and that's good. You should be outraged, but then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but where were you last year? Where were you 10 years ago? Where were you, you know, I mean, this is not, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, the first year at Stanford University, um, with some friends who will remain anonymous. You know the, the the Stanford police were following us, and we ended up on our knees in the Rodin sculpture garden because we looked suspicious, as in we looked like the kids from East Palo Alto, and we had to prove that we were actually Stanford students. It, instead of you know, and that's sort of that presumption. It's like that so much of the racial profiling and the racialized violence from police um, is the inversion of the way it's supposed to be. You're you have to prove that you belong if you're a person of color, right? You're you're, you're guilty until proven innocent instead of, instead of the presumption that you're innocent until proven guilty. And it's especially exacerbated on black bodies in this day and age, but let's not get it twisted. I mean, the violence that's been occurring against Asian American communities with the China virus, um, the extreme police violence against brown communities in this day and age, uh, especially uh, along the border and the presumption that we're all not just illegals, and I hate that term, but I use it to represent the popular vernacular um but then what becomes of that i mean you have not only do you have you know ice and family separations and kids in cages but you also have border vigilantes who are down there literally hunting brown bodies mm-hmm. and, and part of what's difficult about this is we've been experiencing this on such a deep level for so long and then white folks are like oh my god this is happening mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating because I'm struggling to maintain for myself, my family, and my community. And now on top of it, I'm having to tend to the fragility of white people say, you know, who are just, I don't know what to do, and why are people so angry? I'm just trying to be involved. And, and it's like, because it's not about you, right? If you want to be involved in this, and I, I kind of came up with a metaphor on the fly yesterday uh, when I was doing another webinar, you wouldn't come to somebody's house party and you walk in the door and you're like, ah, oh, this music is whack, the lighting is terrible, the beers you know, you just, you come and you're a guest in this house. And that's sort of what I need. I kind of need white people to, in this day and age, consider themselves in racial justice movements a guest, an invited guest, an important guest, but still a guest in the house. I keep hearing this, well, you know, I'm really concerned about the looting and I'm concerned about this. And so, well, first of all, white folk are doing a lot of the looting in the first place, you know? Yeah. And then also you, you're ignoring the overt police violence and the way that, you know, the police uh, cleared out Washington DC uh, before, you know, Trump went and had that photo op in front of the church. I mean, people are hurting, people are damaged, and that should be the first and foremost thing. Yeah. People are being harmed in this, and that's the center of it. And that's, I think, where we need to start.
1: You know, we're seeing this massive movement across the country, Mm -hmm. and a lot of young people involved. Um, For us and within our profession, and and you you study this, you study racism, right? Uh, What is the role of the academic
2: in all of this? Uh, the short answer of it is, it depends. When we're talking about a youth-led grassroots movement, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, like at the University of Arizona, there's going to be a, a rally and protest that's very much oriented in that way on Saturday. What's the role of the academic? The academic is there to sit there to show up and be quiet, which for us is very hard because that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I am a professor. I profess, you know. Yeah. Uh, but no, but that that's that's really important. They mm-hmm. create a space. If they invite you into it, yeah, if your number's called, say something. But it's not your space. It's not your place. And just take a step back. I think, though, that, that one of the big things with academics is that we, we, get too, um, uh, we get too comfortable writing articles that only we read and collect dust on bookshelves. And, <laughs> and, and so, you know, we do have networks where we're able to engage the, the, the public discourse. And now is exactly the time to be doing that, to be amplifying marginalized voices, marginalized issues of of marginalized communities in those spheres where we actually do have influence. And that varies. And that's the weird thing about academics. You know, we talk about us as a monolith, but people have a lot of different orientations and relationships to to different spheres of power. Some of us have the ears of policymakers. Some of us have the ears of CEOs. Some of us, you know, whatever it is, wherever you have that influence, use it. Now's the time, your number's called, use it. A big one right now where we really need to have our voices heard is on these issues of campus reopenings because our, our presidents guided by their CFOs are gonna be guided by the bottom line, that's it. And, and, and I understand that angst, like you know, we could shut our doors if we you know, had this large down of a, of a downfall. The center of it should always be the safety of of people, the safety of our students, the safety of our staff, the safety of our faculty. It's supposed to be about faculty governance. That is, we're not just sort of like, oh Mr. President, if you don't mind, it's like, no, 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 we're we're card-carrying members of this institution. And so I think all the way around we need to be able to do that. And I think it's going to be equally important for us to monitor the um, institutional response as it comes to the a lot of these issues are, are around around George Floyd, because a lot of our students are going to be hurting.
0: Coming up, we catch up with Director of Student Activities, Cindy Mata, and Event Manager, Mabel Cortina Matos, on how the student Union has stayed connected during this difficult time.
1: We've invited Cindy and Mabel to join us to talk about student life, student events, what students can look forward to since basically everything's like this. Everything's operating online in a virtual environment. I think before we logged on, I think we all had a little bit to share and kind of how, what reality looks like for us and and, um, sort of what has become the new normal for us. But given the situation, given the circumstances, either one of you can take this, what can students look forward to in terms of like student lives, student events and, and activities?
4: I can go first. Um, For student activities, we've been very lucky that we were able to transition into a virtual platform as soon as we were told, hey, we're moving, everyone's going to be at home, working from home um, and learning from home. And so we've had quite a busy summer and a quite busy fall to start off. And so we've been able to host events in collaboration with departments like the Student Union with Mabel um, throughout the summer and make sure that students are still being engaged and still having that time to connect with each other. Um, I'm very happy to say that we didn't skip a beat as it came to Best Week Ever, and so for Best Week Ever, we did host um, virtual Info Depot, so students were able to get information from various departments in a virtual environment, and we're actually in the process of posting all that information on our vlink pages and for the stomp i mean we hosted our very first very successful i might add uh, virtual concert we were surprised at how many people actually attended that Um, we had over a thousand students that participated student faculty and staff and so it's an amazing opportunity for us to be able to do this for our students and I'm excited just to see what the rest of the fall semester looks like at least for student activities. I do think that as we transition to, into a more traditional environment there will be changes there will be protocols that are added and so what those are I'm not sure yet but we will definitely keep everyone
1: posted. Mabel you work at the student union and the student union I think at, at most universities and certainly at UTRGV is kind of like the hub kind of like the life center feels like the heart of the university. So what does it look like now now that we've we've gone virtual?
5: So we're still here. There are still students that are coming here because it's like you said, build it and they come. We are here, it's open. So we have students here early in the morning studying, hanging out. Um, they bring their lunches, the C store is still open. So people still trickle in and out throughout the day. It also is a great study space for residents. So they'll kind of come into the perimeter of of the building and they'll stay outside and study. So there's definitely life and movement still happening at the union. The virtual union, right, that virtual space is still hopping and popping. And we've still got tons of events in a ver- of a very dynamic nature happening as well so now we're, we exist on a physical level but we also exist on this virtual platform
6: i'm just gonna say it's not much of a question but i used to work at the student union and i feel like ever since i left i still feel like i work there Students are like always asking me questions even before the pandemic like about what, what events are happening on campus like I'm a freshman I don't know where to go like I'm scared I have a two hour break before my classes am I supposed to just go back home and I'd always just be like no go to the Union they have Chick-fil-A they have the C store they have the Starbucks like they have events go to the game room. And I really, it, to say it's a hub for students is just an understatement. Like anytime I meet up with anyone on campus, it's just the union is where I go. It's my safe space. It's where like anything from like the facilities to the game room, to like even the events, like you would be surprised how much work goes into an ice cream bar. It's a lot of work. And I don't know how like Mabel is able to do it. It's It's insane.
5: You know, people don't see it, right? The students show up and they grab an ice cream and they're like, yes some sprinkles, some Oreos, and they don't realize that we've been washing in hot water and crushing cookies and hair netted. And and I remember, you know, there was, I think after a year of doing just like the standard Sundays, we started looking at craziness, you know, like sour gummies and Captain Crunch. And it's been incredibly fun.
6: I saw the union too is also doing like um the some of the sessions are like making your own cleaning products from home. Not only are you all making events online but you're catering to like events in the current times so it it never surprises me when the union does something um something great like that and i'm I'm excited for transitioning back to in person i'm really I'm really excited. In this
0: episode, we have Dr. Christelle Escalona to discuss public health in the Rio Grande Valley. And we got some useful advice battling COVID-19.
6: What should students know about the current state that we're living in? What are the basic fundamentals that they should know, especially with the current times of COVID? Um, If they've been living under a rock, how are we doing?
7: So we're doing better. I would say. I think people more and more, as time has gone on, um, they're paying attention more to the recommendations. And so I don't see that many people like without a mask, certainly not on campus, and definitely not like if I have to go buy my groceries when I go to Walmart, I have yet to find anybody without a mask, where before that wasn't the case. And I work in the hospital as well. And so, like at the peak of COVID, like let's say six weeks ago, they were putting my patients like in waiting areas, you know, like. Like if you ever walk into the hospital the information desk lady well all of that was like filled with gurneys and patients and i mean the hospitals were like ridiculously overwhelmed i would go try to look for my patients i'm a pediatrician so the nurses would be like your patients are somewhere there in the middle and then i'd have to like like trudge through all these gurneys to go look for my patients that was bad and that was at the peak of the pandemic And luckily now the waiting area is a waiting area. I could walk into the hospital and I don't have to navigate my way through gurneys, um, but we still need to be really vigilant. Um, Just because we're doing better and we're wearing our face coverings, it doesn't mean you're gonna let your guard down. And a lot of people, like, especially, I think maybe it was like, what, two days ago that Hidalgo County, the judge ordered that you don't have to shelter in place. It's easy to pretend that we're not in a time where the pandemic exists, but you really have to be cognizant of that because I can't tell you how bad it was in the hospital. It was horrific.
0: And in regards to that, what kind of effects have you had with PPE, the protective equipment that you've had in the hospitals? How has that been going?
7: So luckily here at UTRGV, they've done an outstanding job at providing PPE. At the start of the pandemic, I kind of freaked out thinking that like if I went to the hospital, I also work at the COVID drive-through here on campus, that they wouldn't be able to protect me. I can tell you, I have never not had PPE or been properly like outfitted to be able to do what they're asking me to do. So I don't know where the university's getting their stuff, but I am immensely grateful for it because if you're going to be around people that have the virus, you need to be able to properly protect them i got so freaked out about covid and especially because i was in the hospital and i saw people getting sick that i actually signed up for the trial vaccine so last week i got my second dose of the moderna uh moderna covid trial vaccine
1: oh wow
8: funny
7: because like when you're taking care of covid patients i mean i think even just like the general population any little thing you could have you're like oh my throat hurts and then you're like oh my god i totally have it
0: Definitely, because I've felt like that for like the last six months. How many months have we been in lockdown? I've still been in lockdown. I'm trying to treat the situation kind of professionally. Yeah, being home is like really important for me, and I'm just like, I don't know. I've just like, I got a sore throat, and I got real scared, and I was like, what's going on? with.
7: So it's kind of funny though, because the particular vaccine trial that I'm in, it actually, it's really cool. So usually whenever they make vaccines, what they'll do is they'll either like weaken it and then inject it directly, or sometimes what they'll do is that they'll put the DNA of the vaccine or the, or the virus into a different um, virus that's not going to hurt you and then they inject it that way. This one's just a chunk of messenger RNA that instructs how to make a spike. And so that's all it is. It's messenger RNA from COVID. Let me tell you, my body had never seen any element of COVID before I got the, there's no way. That vaccine knocked me on my butt is it better than you know being vented and in the hospital sick with covid oh yeah but did it really get me oh yeah i had like fever and body ache all my joints hurt. i don't know if it's because i'm old that might be (laughs) but i've been vaccinated for pretty much everything under the sun including yellow fever and i have never had a reaction to this like not even like the seasonal flu vaccine is like not a big deal nothing was a big deal but this one was a big deal. I had to take the day off.
6: There's been some weird misconceptions out there that it's just the flu. It's just a common cold. Can you personally uh, detest that, those kinds of misconceptions?
9: Oh my
10: God.
7: Yeah, no, it is so much worse. And I mean, the thing is, a lot of people have a tendency to get like frustrated, right? Because the thing is, is that this is like brand new and we're learning on the fly, right? So initially, what were we saying? No math. And now we're saying masks. And then initially we thought perhaps it wasn't spread via the air. And now we're saying it's probably spread uh, via like droplets that stay suspended in the air for a good while. And so because we're learning on the fly, a lot of people do get frustrated because they're like, these people, meaning physicians or scientists, they don't know what they're doing. And that's not what it is at all. It's learning as you go. You're seeing science in action and a situation like evolving. And under no structure of the imagination is this anything like the flu. The flu Mm. kills like in a bad season. In the United States, it might kill something like 50,000 people. We're already at the 200,000 mark. And we're not even done with a year. So no. I mean, I don't want to bum anybody out, but I mean, I've never seen... Problem is, is, that, and this is like one of, the, one of the biggest reasons why the medical school is even here. The health disparities that exist here, meaning that we're like overweight, right? We have diabetes. And what does COVID go after? People that are fluffy and they also have diabetes. And so if you actually look at us, this is why we come out in national news. Like why would anybody know about, not that there's anything wrong with us, right? But for the population that we have, like why are we coming out on national news? We're coming out on national news because we have a higher rate of death than other places and it's disproportionate for the population that is here. So yeah, no, not like the normal flu and super scary for us for sure because not everybody has access to care and unfortunately COVID exposes like all these healthcare disparities that exist in the area but then that's why the medical school is here. We're We're trying to make that better.
0: This year has been a very difficult year for everyone and in this clip we feature Dr. Annette Allison where we discuss mental health and what the university has to offer to help students cope with stress during this difficult time.
6: I guess the first question I really have is like how is a counseling center handling the entire working from home and students at home transition that UTRGV has become a part of?
3: It's been very interesting. Prior to COVID, we had already begun to implement our telehealth services. So we had a few students that are enrolled at the university, but they're not local. So they were doing online classes and we wanted to make sure that all of those students were also able to access our resources. So we had started the process. So when COVID came along and we all had to go home, we weren't too unfamiliar with it but it was definitely a new experience for our students who were used to coming in to see us in person um, and then having to learn how to communicate from a distance online, just not having that you know, in-person contact. I look forward to going back someday and getting back to you know, our usual typical structure and you know, our, our interactions with other counselors as well, but we're making it happen. You know, we're all doing the best we can.
0: So in regards to you mentioning that more students are actually making the meeting times, have you seen a larger influx of students since the pandemic? Have you seen more students using your services?
3: At first there was there we weren't getting as many calls. This summer we've had more students participating in our services than we've had in the past. We actually updated our intake, our screening assessment and we added section for COVID to see how the individual has been impacted, you know, family, health, finances, emotional, you know, needs, uh, friendships. So they're able to select those areas of of concern as well. So it's not just, I struggle with anxiety, but also COVID plays into that, into those intense, more intense feelings.
11: Our, Our concerns I think are heightened right now with COVID. I just wanted to ask about practical stuff that we maybe should keep in mind for our mental health overall not just not just right now but just students overall.
3: Yeah, that's that's been like the number one question that we get when we do, you know, Zoom interviews is like how do we take care of ourselves when we're stuck in the same room essentially the same space 24/7, you know, for, for a lot of people that are practicing that shelter in place. Um, And I find that too. I have, you know, five to six, sometimes seven appointments in one day and I'll go from one meeting to the next and I won't get up. So I've had to be so intentional. One, it's really cold in in my room. Um, But two, just to go outside during my lunchtime and sit out and get some sun and fresh air. I like sitting in my garage and I like to see people driving by. So I'll sit there and just open the garage door and allow myself to thought and just breathe because otherwise it's just nonstop. It's, it's harder to uh, structure is another area of of concern. Like, well, I don't have this structure, but it's really hard to implement a new practice a new structure to your life because I could literally sit here all day and work, you know, and, and, pre-COVID, I would have a client and I'd walk out and I'd talk to them and I'd see other people. So for myself, I've made it a point to, at lunch, to make sure that I take at least 30 to 45 minutes outside of the space. There are some really cool, I don't know how many of y'all like yoga, But there's a really cool um, person that I follow called Yoga with Adriene. And she has really cool five to seven, 10 minute sessions that you could practice at your desk. So it's like desk yoga, chair yoga, you name it. And it's quick and easy. So if you do have a little chunk of time and can't run out, make sure that you try to stretch your body out and encourage yourself to breathe. But all of this is going to require intention. We know what we can do and what we need to do, but it's really doing what's best for yourself.
0: I think students right now are just trying to find ways to cope. And I really love that you said do things with intention because that's kind of like a running theme that we've been kind of running through, like doing things with intention, like making the effort, you know, to help yourself stay healthy and stay mentally healthy. So I guess that would run into the next question. Uh, What other services does the office provide? Do they have group services or anything else like that?
3: yeah yeah and I want to take you back off of what you said about the intention if we don 't take care of ourselves, nobody 's going to do that for us you know so that 's the choice that we have to make for ourselves. i can i can spout off a different all sorts of different activities like i see all your plants get a plant talk to your plants you know water your plants i am a plant Mm -hmm. lady yes
0: i love my plants
3: (laughs) it's really cool to watch them grow and and so i mean that's something you know to to maintain or you know improve your mental health is something that you can take care of and watch grow and then if it dies it's okay we can go find another plant um but anyway yes you have to take care of yourself because we don't make ourselves a priority other people aren't going to be able to do that for us. You know, you're the one that pulls yourself out of bed. Yeah, somebody can, you know, come on, let's go, let's go, you've got to do this, get out of bed, you know, you got to go to class, show up, but it's really your, like, wherewithal within you that gets you out of bed, because there's that, even if it's a little bit of hope, or, you know, that that self-worth, we're going to, we're going to maximize whatever we have in there.
0: In this next clip, we welcome our very own Dr. Gregory Sober and Jose Fuentes, a political science professor from Lone Star College discussing the political climate, culture, and the importance of voting. Today's conversation is actually going to be on voting. We're going to be talking about how to get yourself out there and be part of this civic duty that we all need to represent. To open up the conversation, a general question, and it's about voter participation and why is it important. You know, anyone can go ahead and start voter participation why is it important and why do you think that more people are actually joining us this particular election year?
8: Well you know you say that voting is a duty and I really truly agree you know it's an obligation you go all the way back to the ancient traditions of participation in civic life but I always like to kind of couch it in other terms as well to me voting is a duty but it's also a pleasure you know it's an honor to be able to take part in the discourse and to make your voice heard and you know, of course, some people parenthetically will say, "Well, your vote doesn't count." Not necessarily true, because to me, voting is something that is a, is a pleasure. As an eight, my my daughter just turned 18, and she's going to be voting in the elections for her first voting. And I tried to tell her, "Look, this is not something you have to do, but it's something you should want to do. Because if you have problems with the way things work, if you don't like the people who are there, then go make your voice felt." And I think that will establish a lifelong habit of participation and engagement, because you know. The government will work on automatic pilot if we don't do something about it. So now's our chance to have the pleasure and the honor of voting. That's what I would say.
11: And it's important to, to like you're saying, build a, a habit because uh, most of us, um, I think it, it, we see the big ones like the presidential elections, and that's when we care. But there's elections going on every year.
8: If it becomes a habit, then you don't just, every four years you show up and send a tweet and go vote. You know, the, the idea is to have everybody involved in how the institutions work. So that the press and the public act as a watchdog on the major institutions. I'm sure that Joe is a political science teacher. You know, you know, you know a lot more about that than I do. And, and I can
12: tell you, uh, I, I look at it from a historical perspective, because I'm often asked the question, what happened? <laughs> How did we get here? You don't have to look far. It's, it's, it's embedded in our history, whether we like it or not. But we have to acknowledge it. And once you acknowledge it, it's like anything else. If there's an issue or problem we face it. We, we've seen this over and over and over again. You know, this is why we say voting is, as you said, Professor Selber, it's a duty, it's an honor, it's a pleasure, it's all these things. I always want to add that it's a right, you know, and, and this right w- wasn't granted to all of us, you know, overnight. Everybody had to work for it, you know, and this is why we say there's been all these movements throughout our history, and as you said, again, it's your 18-year-olds voting for the first time. It, it's special. It's an honor. You know, we voted yesterday. I'm in Harris County. <laughs> You're watching the news. I am in Harris County is I mean, it's ecstatic, you know. And I, I've never experienced anything like that. Uh, going through a drive-through, it was it was awesome. I mean, you know, mm. I, we're missing the pizza and the sodas, but other than that, you know, you're, you're in and out in your vehicle. There's so many, you know, good things about it. And like anything else, I mean, they're they're placing all these, you know, these amenities, these opportunities for us. And this is why I keep telling my students, take advantage of it. Did you get a sticker? I did, I should have put it on my forehead. I, I was going to actually. You
8: know, the thing that stands out to me, guys, is that you read the papers uh, the other day, early voting, you know, which ends October 30th, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. the, the numbers. Now, everybody wants to talk about turnout. You know, when the turnout is low, that tends to favor one side or the other. The turnout is not low. And the turnout is not low among people of color, I might add. And so this is going to be an interesting thing. It seems that the problem of 2016, and we will go without naming, has been solved on the, in early voting because the numbers were lower. 2008, mm-hmm. 2012, people voted like crazy. Young people voted. Yep. Minorities or people of color voted. It didn't happen in 2016. I think that we saw the result one way or the other, positive or negative. So those newspaper headlines, to me, signify that this is, like you say, a unique moment. Every election is a unique moment. I mean, you know, historically, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, suffrage 100 years ago, civil rights, there's all kinds of points on the curve and this one is potentially another one of those plastic hours where the stasis tends to break up a little bit. And all of a sudden we're in a position where if we do all the right things and things we wanna do, there could be some uh, radical or drastic changes down the road. And that's what a lot of people are saying they want. So if you do want that, let's go.
0: And I think that was covered in that article you had shared with me in The Atlantic. They discussed on that idea of plastic hours and kind of how a critical moment in our time. Um, Could you give us a little bit more information on that idea, the plastic
8: hours? Well, I tell my kids that you don't just settle for social media. Don't just settle for the newspaper or CNN. You've got to read the so-called highbrow opinion journals. And that's right and left. I give them the spectrum, man. They read mm-hmm. The Nation, they read The New Republic, and they read commentary in the National Review. And some people are kind of look askance at having to read a right-wing journal. But my point is, let's know what everybody's saying, and then it becomes a math problem. Then you kind of put it into a mixer and filter it through your own opinions, and you have a more wide-ranging opinion. So George Packer, by the way, if you haven't read any of his stuff, good Lord, I mean, if there's a smarter guy in the world, I don't know who it is. It certainly ain't me. But Packer is saying basically that. You know, change comes in cycles. And he mentioned the progressive era, which we've been uh, learning about in class, you know, the combination of the labor unions and people like Eugene Debs, a socialist, and, you know, uh, the social gospel of some churches. In other words, the groundswell was there because something had to be done about modern industrial technological capitalism, monopoly of the Gilded Age. You guys don't know that stuff. But it doesn't happen all the time. And the problem is is we get into our comfort zone and into our routines, whether we make, make a complaint about something, but we don't really see the dynamism. But, you know, historically speaking, there are certain points in time when the opening presents itself. And if we don't run through it, then we can't be complaining down the road. And that happens a lot. We miss our opportunity because we get like kind of mesmerized and not energized by the stuff that's happening in our daily lives. Certain avenues present themselves, but it's not automatic because institutions are obdurate and they're stubborn and they will be what they will be. And so if you want them to change, if you want to turn that giant wheel, you got to put your shoulder to the wheel. We have a very dynamic political landscape right
0: now. And, you know, we're dealing with a lot of different issues. I mean, I think like every year we seem to have something different that happens, but this particular year has been like hitting us with so many different things. You know, we have the pandemic, Black Lives Matter. And especially now that we're kind of going into this hard shift of the economy because of the pandemic, what do you think is like the main issues, you know, driving voters to the poll. What do you think is that idea?
12: It's kind of like a perfect storm where you have a lot of things coming at you at once, and that is 2020 per se, right? When you look at the the perspective of the, the COVID crisis, right, um, it kind of alludes back to why is it important, you know, your, your local elections, state elections. Well, unfortunately, COVID-19 has kind of um, exposed uh, our, our system, our federal system, where the federal government has power but the states have powers as well and we're seeing this with education we're seeing this with uh, first responders frontliners, and all that um there really isn't one unit right one uniform unit going in and in, in the same direction that's problematic uh, second um as you alluded to black lives matter i think um you look at the civil rights you look at the progressive era i mean these these are all events you know that that have shaped you know america and i, I do say shape but at the same time you know i think that it, it's literally kind of peeling back a layer of America that, that's still there, unfortunately. Being from, uh, you know, uh, one of the biggest cities in, in the nation, I know it's a little different in the Valley, but I mean, you, you tend to see it more, you, you're trying to understand it more here uh, because it is more, you know, more prevalent here. Regarding, you know, the, the presidential election, as, as you, you alluded as well, you have two totally different candidates, but if you look at—I know Dr. Selber said it as well—back in the 2016 election, you kind of see some of the similarities, but I think you see a, a lot of differences as well uh, in in the fact that you now have a huge wave coming. The o- early voter turnout is—I think we're at about north of 30 million, and you have got to—you got to understand, we're looking at what was the total voter turnout—a little over 100 million in 2016. I mean. You, you're almost halfway there. Harris County, where I reside, I mean, we 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 broke the record. I think the first day or two that all that we had in 2016. So you have to ask yourself. I mean, in this in this day and age, you don't really ask yourself because it's all over the news, social media, podcasts such as this one. Everybody's engaged. Everybody knows what's going on. But I think more importantly, everybody knows what's at stake. Everybody knows what's at stake, and the majority of, of the country wants to go one way, but you're always going to have the minority in anything and everything, and they obviously want to go go the other way. So I think that if you add them all up, it's a perfect storm for what's about to happen.
8: Absolutely well said. Uh, perfect storm and that motif is totally true. I tend to look at it exactly as you do. And, and, and also one of the things that keeps occurring to me is that you know, you have people who are single issue voters and they're gonna vote on that one thing. But mm-hmm. in this election, I think that you know the, all the issues that we've named are important and they're the parts, but the whole to me is a vibe, okay? And I'm speaking personally, I'm not trying to you know, reinvent the world, but the vibe is anxious and the vibe is unhappy. We, we're not happy with the way we're relating to one another. We're not happy with the way we relate to government and vice versa, particularly vice versa. And so I think that groundswell of uh, unhappiness and dissatisfaction is coming to a head in this perfect storm that you talk about. So to me, I, you know, I, I see it in my classes all the time. You know, there's just a vibe or a feel that this is not what we want to be. So we're talking about national identity here, and we're trying, yes. and that's a hard, it's elusive, and it's, it's kind of a dynamic, uh, nebulous thing, like public opinion, right? But at the same time, there's a general feel, and it's not just restricted to the left, I don't think. Believe me, mm-hmm. right now, the Republican Party is going through, uh, preparing for what could be a crushing defeat, and you know what Packer would say, is that good? because they haven't done the things they said they were going to do and they haven't acted the way they say they're going to act. And you can say that for any party, I'm not trying to stump for a group, but I guess my point is that the vibe, you know, the, the parts that add up to the whole, are race and police and economics and inequality, absolutely hugely important, abortion, you name it. But the general feel is that we need to get back to being what Americans say they are. Hungry?
0: In this episode, Jayshir Bhatt, Ana Davila, and Oscar Zavala from the Department of Professional Education and Workforce Development aim to eliminate hunger at the university and foster healthy eating habits. So First Year Experience is an initiative to help first-year students. We have various programs where we do outreach to help them transition from not only high school, but from second year institutions. And at the same time, we have programming to have campus community. So we kind of bring students together to just have certain resources. And uh point of this podcast is to go ahead and give the students an opportunity to listen to what kind of resources there are in the university, because there's a lot of different programming going on. So this particular episode is kind of reaching out students who are struggling with food insecurity. So really one of my first questions is how do we identify food insecurity and what are some of the effects that students are struggling with?
9: How do we go about you know, identifying food insecurity? That data is available nationwide, especially college campuses are known to um, you know, have higher level and higher rates of students that experience hunger. So on our campus, there was a group of students, graduate students, that are part of the sustainability fellowship program that really started looking into this a little deeper last year in April 2019, where they started um, studying this. And they actually administered a survey um, to um, a sample size of the campus population and Surprisingly or not so surprisingly, this was a self-reported response, you know, by students themselves, and the results indicated that 44% of them indicated that they're experiencing hunger, right? So that is an alarming number, not so surprising, though, because that is maybe it's a little higher than the national average. But then there are some socioeconomic conditions and other factors that influence hunger on campus here more, maybe more than other campuses that are considered a little more affluent. Affluent, right? So another set of sustainability fellows kind of took it a little further in the fall when they studied. You know, they started off with this that data. And they started seeing what is causing that data and what are some of the ways that can be addressed, right? So they identified that although there are some resources that are available on campus, such as the food pantry and there's community garden on campus as well, Uh, But they identified that even though there are some resources available, you know, two or three things were identified as the gap, you know, that is causing this food insecurity to continue on campus. One of them is that, you know, maybe the information is not readily available for a lot of students. Right. And we are a commuter campus. A lot of information might be available at times, but there's no systematic way of reaching out to the students with that information directly. What you guys are doing is great in that sense. You know what I'm saying? You're connecting the first year students to the resources that are available on campus. So going back to the reasons that they identified that was causing the gap to continue was that one, the access to information, right? And access to the resource itself was a gap as well, because Sometimes, um, you know, the food pantry, for example, it is situated, it's run by student employees who have limited number of hours that they can contribute to this. So it may or may not be available 24-7, although to their credit, they've done a tremendous job of going online, setting up online purchasing. It's free to all students. I don't know if many students are available, but they can actually order them online free of cost. And and use them as well because picking them up is prob- probably an issue because it's not located next to a parking lot per se. You know there are some some of these factors that might be influencing the utilization of the campus resources. That was the number two that they identified, right? And the third one was when you're looking at addressing hunger, the first thing that comes up is economy, right? Cost of accessing the food. So yes, you know we might have non-perishable items available through the food pantry, and there's uh, other resources as well. But really, when, when it comes down to um, you know accessing free resources, sometimes students are also deterred by the fact that there's labeling involved. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to be labeled as hungry or uh, accessing free food uh, and things like that. Uh, what
0: are some of the programs uh, you're featuring for to help students? Um, I know many students that are struggling. I have personally used these, you know, when the pandemic happened. So I think it's really important for us to reach out to these population of students that maybe seem to be kind of insecure personally about, you know, reaching out. But I think it's really helpful to get involved. So uh, what what are some of these programs?
9: So because one of the identified factors were labeling, right? People don't want to be labeled as hungry or accessing free food. It was important for us to come up with a a strategy that that puts everyone in the same bracket. You know what I'm saying? So basically, we just wanted to remove the labeling And create an environment where everyone can have access to healthy and nutritious food that doesn't have to cost a dime and a nickel for them. So what we did is we actually partnered with Baptist Student Ministries Global Blend. You know, that's where our partnership comes in, right? So because I was uh, purviewed to this information that there's hunger on campus that needs to be addressed, and workforce development and finding innovative ways to um, create opportunities for our students is part of my responsibility. And I was aware that BSM Global Blends had been running their pay what you feel type of deli and pretty much across the street from uh, the campus in Edinburgh, I went to their director and I said, you know what, we want to partner with you guys, you know, not only extend, extend what you offer, but we also want to bring in the campus food security initiatives mission, which is to address hunger on campus and also provide easy access to locally grown locally sourced fresh produce Um, and make it easily available at this pay what you feel model so that anyone can go in there. They can pay 50 cents or they can pay $10 for the same amount of food and the same amount of produce without being labeled. That is how this campus food security initiative kind of took shape. And even though the idea was discussed about January of this year, we were actually all set to kind of launch this in February and then COVID-19 hit us, right? So we had to take a back seat for about a month or two as COVID-19 evolved. And we came to realize by April that pandemic is now resulting in a lot more unemployment. Uh, A lot more of our students might be experiencing this hunger as a result of losing jobs and other factors than they did before. So it became even more important to launch this. But we had the constraints of, the you know the guidelines that we needed to follow right CDC had very strict guidelines about social distancing and a few other things had to be um, followed but nevertheless the need to address this despite those contra- constraints became even more important and more paramount than ever before. So April is when we launched this program. To answer your questions, specific questions about programs that are embedded within the Campus Food Security Initiative, because our goal is to address hunger, but not just address hunger, trying to address issues that may lead to a positive behavior change in the students in their eating habits. Because you can address hunger by giving them food. But any type of food doesn't necessarily need to better productivity in the classroom, better uh, overall health, lifestyle. So we're going after all of that in the background. But we want to do more of a transformational effect that will come out of this initiative. So that's why we are doing the weekly produce stand on Fridays, 10 to 12, on both campuses. So um, we actually make fresh produce available to the campus community. And because we have this partnership with BSM Global Blends, we have access to the kitchen. And so we have a food preparation team that works under the direction of of an established chef who is really good at understanding nutrition, flavor. So they are learning under the direction of this professional chef and uh, producing these wonderful plant-based meals that are made available on every Friday. So that is one way, right? But we're really, what we're going after is engaging and educating and empowering the students and generally students, because it is a student, I guess, student-facing initiative. So we really want to go about it that way so those are some of the main things that we're doing but underlying goal is to kind of go after the behavior change so we're you know really active on social media we're trying to engage the student organizations as well so there are several programs that are kind of evolving as we get into the eighth or ninth month of this initiative Uh, One of them includes the webinars where students will be um, connected to the local experts that understand, you know, food, sustainability, nutrition, healthy lifestyles and all of those things. So those are all some of the programs that are currently being offered through this initiative.
11: I just wanted to ask, um, uh, where can we find you on social media?
10: Sure. So we are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel. You can find all information there, but our uh, handle is utrgb.cfsi, which obviously stands for Campus Food Security Initiative. Um, And like I said, on Instagram, we we post our content and what meals you can, you can do that. It might not be related to what we're, we're um, offering on Fridays, but Throughout the week, you can make avocado toast or just easy recipes that students that are living on campus and don't have maybe an entire kitchen at their disposal can still prepare healthy meals with simple items that they might already have.
0: We can't forget our first year experience team at UTRGV. In this episode, we had Cynthia Salivar, Kimberly Garcia, and a few of our success gurus discussing what the Office of Student Success is working on to help students succeed this semester and the next.
13: So I'll start and then I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Saldivad. But just a little background information on University College. Um, University College is actually the academic home for any student who has not declared a major. So we call those our exploratory students. Um, It is also the home of the first year experience. Um, And within first year experience, we have a lot of really great initiatives like the Success Gurus, our Vaquero Innovators Program, our Jumpstart Program. And then also under that first year experience umbrella, we have our Learning Framework Courses. And this year it's been really exciting because we have expanded our Learning Framework Courses. So now we not only do the traditional UNIV 1301 Learning Framework Course, but we now have a UNIV 1101 course. And we actually now have a Live and Work by Design course. Uh, But the true expert on all of our first year experience courses is Dr. Saldivar. So I will let him take over.
1: Thank you, Cynthia. So the Learning Framework course and all of the courses within Learning Framework are courses that are created and were created to help students transition to college. I think there is a misconception that because you know I went to high school, graduated even if I graduated top of my class from top twenty percent or what have you. and and the high schools around Texas, you know they stamp us college ready, right? Everybody still needs help. We still get to the university, we get lost. there's a you know the the language of the university is different. Um, offices are different all of a sudden we're exposed to a lot of different places that we've never heard of like the red I always use the registrar because I, I think I still have trouble with what exactly is a registrar but anyway so like offices like that financial aid student bills even beyond that just like how do i ident- identify a major what does it mean like to do a major a prominent question that students ask is what is a minor so everybody's got these questions um, the univ class isn't isn't unique in the sense that there are like, we're not the only institution that offers a course like that. It's a course that's offered across the country in different variations or iterations. I think what we've done is we've tailored the course to really meet the needs of our students and our specific population, right? And what we've done this year by creating an 1101 course and then the living and working by design is you do this work long enough, you recognize that students are all different. We've got students that are coming in with a lot of hours from early college high school, students that are coming in with no hours, no prior college hours, um, the students that are undeclared or what we like to call exploratory and are still just trying to find their way. I think we, we wanna reassure students and tell them, you're 18, 19, you don't need to have it all figured out. Regardless of what everybody's telling you or, or whatever kind of outside pressure you're feeling, college is still about exploring. College is still about a learning and figuring out who you are and what do you wanna do how you want to, you know, make your mark on the world, so to speak. Um, And so what these courses do is these courses are tailored to specific populations that are coming in during the first year. I think a lot of students are apprehensive about taking the course, any of them. And what I would like to say is I would like to reassure them. And I promise them that when they're done with the course, they will be better positioned to be successful throughout the remainder of their college years.
13: The Office of Student Success, we are basically where you're going to find um, academic advising, the Career Center, um, Engaged Scholarship and Learning, University College, the Writing Center and the Learning Center. I don't know if I already said this. To say like, what is the Office of Student Success doing right now for students? We're doing everything from academic advising to tutoring. Um, All of those offices have found a way to continue their services, both virtually and in-person. I don't really know how to answer that like holistically, but we also, I know within our office is where you'll find like graduation help desk and first year experience and stuff like that. Um, I'm really excited this year because I really feel like this is the year where our first year experience has grown a lot. And again, this is the area that I'm most familiar with cause this is my day to day. Um, And one of the new initiatives that I think that we're really excited about and the whole reason we're having this Facebook Live is to talk about the Success Gurus. And this is a brand new initiative that was really been thought of and was really thought about. It's been about two years where we've been going back and forth on having this success guru mindset. And it kind of came from thinking about what is the best way to get first year students the quick answers that they need in a very timely way. So how can we train a group of experienced UTRGV students who know exactly what they're going through, they've been there, it's recent, Um, they feel more comfortable maybe asking those questions. I know I was a first-generation student and it was really hard for me to ask an administrator, like, hey, I don't know, I try to register for a class and I'm getting an error and I don't know what that means. Sometimes that's really intimidating even to ask like your academic advisor or to ask somebody from the registers office because you don't want to come across like, I'm lost and I don't know how to do it, right? But it's a lot easier to ask a friend. And we've noticed that a lot of our students do rely on that peer support. Um, So that's really where the gurus came is really getting a team of students that is cross-trained in all of the areas and knows enough about everything to either answer your question directly or to go and say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I know who does and give you that direct contact. So that is the initiative that I'm the most excited about.
10: So as Cynthia mentioned, we're really excited about this new initiative because Cynthia and I have been working together for years and we've been saying students come ask us questions if you don't wanna ask your academic advisor. And we have had a good amount of students, but there's still a huge majority of them who are just hesitant or we'll find out after the fact that they didn't want to ask us questions after they get comfortable of course with us. Um, So now we're really excited that we have the gurus to have that, um, that the office hours. Let's start off with that. Um, So Monday through Friday from nine to five, we have the gurus set up. So you're more than welcome to visit the link and um, just click on the zoom link and you can ask any questions you have. And these are UTRGV students who are there to help you just either answer the quick question or at least navigate you to the correct department to help you guide you to get that answer you want because we understand it's intimidating. I had an amazing academic advisor who um, I'm actually really grateful that I've continued on into my graduate school with her. Um, I can't stress that the, the is offering amazing academic advisors. Even I, another thing I highly encourage you to do is even just talk to your professors. Just like Dr. Santivad was saying, Um, They're relearning. So if you feel like they're just being cold, they're probably not being cold on purpose. They're just relearning. Um, And I encourage you to just just say hello. Maybe that just a simple hello will remind them like, oh yeah, okay, I, I am doing good because I think a lot of them, they're guessing and they're assuming what the student population is going through. But if you just talk to them, or share your um, struggles with them, they will be more than likely to work it out with you, whatever you're overcoming. Three is talk to the gurus, definitely reach out to your professors and definitely your academic, I know for a fact your academic advisors are in your inbox and sending you text messages. So please respond to them. They are ready and happy to talk to you.
0: So I kind of wanted to transition to the gurus. We have our gurus here they're here to kind of tell us about their experience with first year experience program and i want to get their thoughts as far as it goes let's go ahead and start um and this can go to anybody that's a guru here on our channel tell us your experience with the fye give us some of your thoughts what are your experiences
13: well my experience being a part of this um being a success guru. I really like it. Um, I feel like everybody is so connected. We're all like in tune with each other. Like we know what it's been like, the the struggles we've gone through as students. Like we're here to help each other and inform each other. Because like I know I have a couple cousins and um, my sister who are here at the university and I've learned a lot from them. I know what it's like to have someone there for me who knows about it. So. I like knowing that I can do that for someone else. So yeah, it's just like sharing the information. Um, So some of the trainings that we've had, it's mostly to help us understand more about the university. So I know for sure, like I've gone to the learning center because it was a requirement for one of my classes. And I learned that there's a lot of different subjects that they help you with. One of the trainings was that they had different sections for either math, science, history, languages. So it was very interesting to know, especially now since how the semester has changed and how everything's online. uh, We were provided with all the information on the virtual hours that we can now provide to the students. Um, as well the Writing center, financial aid, it's just different resources that now we know a little bit more of. I'm a senior. so I've learned little things each year and now I feel like I understand it completely because of these trainings.
0: Finally, we would like to close this episode with some
6: thoughtful advice and some kind words from Dr. Jana Arney. We can say that we're just waiting for 2021 at this point. My opening question for you is, um, you know, some vaqueros are focused on graduating. They're looking forward to the holiday break with their family. What are you personally looking forward to? Oh
14: boy, that's a good question. Um, I am really looking forward to a vaccine and I'm looking forward to all of us having a post-COVID moment where we're once again in the same room and being able to hug the people that that you love and know. I think what what I'm, on a more serious note, I think what I'm um, really looking forward to this holiday season and just so, so hopeful and praying for is that everybody just stays healthy and safe and just remains patient with this incredibly difficult time we've been at it for so long. I think that the COVID fatigue has long set in and I just Implore all of us just to be patient a little while longer, so that um, so that we have a great 2021.
0: I think it's an eye-opening experience, and it's showed us how fragile everything can really be—not only of our infrastructure, but our personal lives and like the things that we share with other people. And I think that was going to be the focus of this episode. We wanted to really like highlight, you know, what's important. Personally, I've been able to just share more time on the phone with my my parents. I really don't like being on the phone, but my mom's always checking in on me because we are kind of still locked down during this time. We still feel kind of like in our own little bubbles and especially with the pandemic rising and things kind of getting a little bit harder and more difficult for this season. um, What has made maybe a positive difference in your life right now? What's something like a positive for you personally that you've kind of experienced and that's kind of brought you up?
14: I'm so, so grateful, obviously, for my family, but I'm just so incredibly grateful for my work family. I think one of the positives is trying to reinvent and try to rethink and try to um, make the best of it. I think our resilience is is pretty incredible, and I, I don't know that any of us individually knew how much we had in us and how much patience and how much resilience and how much um, drive we we had to to persevere, and, and I think that's... Um, I think it's, it's pretty amazing to watch. It's pretty amazing to experience. I think we're stronger than we realize. And and I think that's been, you know, a, a real positive um, coming out of it. I'm sure you've seen that. Have you seen it in yourselves? And I'm sure you've seen it with your friends and with your family.
0: I have, I have definitely. And I, I think that we, we started making phone calls to a lot of students. We're kind of working on that as a project. We're reaching out to help the university to start advising because registration starting for the spring and we want to get our first year students ready for advisement and to be able to actually come back for the spring. Some of the discussions that I had, I'm not going to reveal anything personal, but they really want to just talk to somebody and connect. And, and I really was able to get a lot of personal information from them and it, like indirectly, I didn't mean to probe, but you know, they just kind of let everything Go And one particular student was just telling me he's kind of scared about the next year and coming back and if he can financially afford it. Pointing that student to certain resources actually helped him out because I was able to get him to download the Navigate app. Shameless plug to download the Navigate app and he was able to register for the advisement and it kind of helped him kind of get something off the plate as they say, I can't think of a better analogy, but you know, it helped them out in the sense that he doesn't have to worry as much. I think that is something that we're looking for. I think everyone's kind of getting onto the online community so we can be able to still connect because I think people do miss that.
14: None of us realized how much we, we needed one another and we needed that interaction. But I think you bring up a really important point and that's that we need to recognize that we're all experiencing this differently. And so we need to be, um, patient with one another, but we also need to be supportive of one another and people need different things at different points in time. And so that outreach alone is, it's kind of that just in time help when just in time. And, and I'm, so gl- I'm so glad to hear you're doing that. And on the financial one, and this is not a shameless plug, but we've been trying to pull together and say, well, what are the things that our students don't have that they need? And that is a job most of our students work. I worked my way through school, just like, like many of our students do. And But yet they know they want to stay in school. And so that's why our focus has been on all of these incentives and trying to drum up as much employment opportunities as we can, because we know that to stay on track for school, you need to be able to afford to do it. But rather than sitting back and saying, oh my gosh, what is this pandemic doing to us? What do we do during a pandemic to make sure we keep things moving? And I think that's been you know, just a real positive. And I, and I feel like that's everybody's having those conversations.
11: Right, and like you were saying, I feel that we found out that we're a bit stronger than we were. I heard somewhere, someone called it anti-fragility. Like there's things that are fragile, they'll break if, yeah. if you add pressure to them. Mm-hmm. And there's things that don't, but there's things that if you add pressure, they become even stronger like for example, our immune system. I know I've seen people have really positive things come out of this. I recently just saw a cousin that I hadn't seen all year and it was really interesting. He he was really fit. Last time I saw him, he was kind of like a bit chubby, right? He just went into the quarantine like, and he got something really positive out of it. It's like I have a new cousin.
0: Again, we hope you enjoyed this recap of another semester with FYE. Remember, you can listen to full episodes on our SoundCloud and YouTube channels. My name is Nicholas Balderas. Thank you for listening to the First Year Experience podcast. Until next time.